Chapter Three of Men of Iron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Kivico of Arlington Heights, Illinois. Men of Iron by Howard Pyle. Chapter Three. What Miles remembered of Falworth loomed great and grand and big, as things do in the memory of childhood. But even memory could not make Falworth the equal of Devlin Castle when, as he and Dickon Bowman rode out of Devlin Town across the great rude stone bridge that spanned the river, he first saw, rising above the crowns of the trees, those huge hoary walls and the steep roofs and chimneys clustered thickly together like the roofs and chimneys of a town. The castle was built upon a plateau-like rise of ground, which was enclosed by the outer wall. It was surrounded on three sides by a loop-like bend of the river, and on the fourth was protected by a deep, broad, artificial moat, almost as wide as the stream from which it was fed. The road from the town wound for a little distance along by the edge of this moat. As Miles and the old bowmen galloped by with the answering echo of their horses' hoofbeats rattling back from the smooth stone face of the walls, the lad looked up, wondering at the height and strength of the great ancient fortress. In his air-castle building Miles had pictured the earl, receiving him as the son of his one-time comrade-in-arms, receiving him, perhaps, with somewhat of the rustic warmth that he knew at Crosby Dale. But now, as he stared at those massive walls from below and realized his own insignificance and the greatness of this great earl, he felt the first keen, helpless ache of homesickness shoot through his breast, and his heart yearned for Crosby Holt again. Then they thundered across the bridge that spanned the moat and through the dark shadows of the great gaping gateway, and Dickon, bidding him stay for a moment, rode forward to bespeak the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper gave the two in charge of one of the men-at-arms who were lounging upon a bench in the archway, who in turn gave them into the care of one of the house-servants in the outer courtyard. So, having been passed from one to another, and having answered many questions, Miles, in due time, found himself in the outer waiting-room, sitting beside Dickon Bowman upon a wooden bench that stood along the wall under the great arch of a glazed window. For a while the poor country lad sat stupidly bewildered. He was aware of people coming and going. He was aware of talk and laughter sounding around him. But he thought of nothing but his aching homesickness and the oppression of his utter littleness in the busy life of this great castle. Meantime old Dickon Bowman was staring about him with huge interest, every now and then nudging his young master, calling his attention now to this and now to that, until at last the lad began to awaken somewhat from his despondency to the things around. Besides those servants and others who came and went, and a knot of six or eight men-at-arms with bills and pole-axes, who stood at the farther doorway talking together in low tones, now and then broken by a stifled laugh, was a group of four young squires who lounged upon a bench beside a doorway hidden by an heiress, and upon them Miles' eyes lit with a sudden interest. Three of the four were about his own age, one was a year or two older, and all four were dressed in the black and yellow uniform of the house of Beaumont. Miles plucked the bowman by the sleeve. "'Be they squires, Dickon?' said he, nodding towards the door. "'Eh?' said Dickon. "'Aye, they be squires.' "'And will my station be with them?' asked the boy. "'Aye, and the earl take thee to service, thou'lt haply be taken as squire.' Miles stared at them, and then of a sudden was aware that the young men were talking of him. 
He knew it by the way they eyed him askance, and spoke now and then in one another's ears. One of the four, a gay young fellow, with long riding-boots laced with green laces, said a few words. The others gave a laugh, and poor Miles, knowing how ungainly he must seem to them, felt the blood rush to his cheeks, and shyly turned his head. Suddenly, as though stirred by an impulse, the same lad who had just created the laugh arose from the bench and came directly across the room to where Miles and the bowman sat. "'Give thee good den,' said he. "'What beast thy name, and whence comest thou? And may I make bold so to ask?' "'My name is Miles Falworth,' said Miles, "'and I come from Crosby Dale bearing a letter to my lord.' "'Never did I hear of Crosby Dale,' said the squire. "'But what seekest here, if so be I may ask that much?' I come seeking service, said Miles, and would enter as an esquire such as ye be in my lord's household. Miles' new acquaintance grinned. Thou'lt make a droll squire to wait in a lord's household, said he. Hast ever been in such service? Nay, said Miles. I have only been at school and learned Latin and French and what not, but Dickon Bowman here hath taught me use of arms. The young squire laughed outright. By our lady, thy talk doth tickle me, friend Miles, said he. Think'st thou such matters will gain thee footing here? But stay, thou didst say anon that thou hadst a letter to my lord? From whom is it? It is from my father, said Miles. He is of noble blood, but fallen in estate. He is a kinsman of my lord's, and one time his comrade in arms. Say'st so, said the other. Then mayhap thy chances are not so ill after all. Then, after a moment, he added, My name is Francis Gascon, and I will stand thy friend in this matter. Get thy letter ready, for my lord and his grace of York are within, and come forth anon. The archbishop is on his way to Dalworth, and my lord escorts him so far as Uppingham. I and those others are to go along. Dost thou know my lord by sight? Nay, said Miles, I know him not. Then I will tell thee when he cometh. Listen, said he, as a confused clattering sounded in the courtyard without. Yonder are the horses now. They come presently. Busk thee with thy letter, friend Miles. The attendants who passed through the anteroom now came and went more hurriedly and Miles knew that the earl must be about to come forth. He had hardly time to untie his pouch, take out the letter, and tie the strings again, when the arras at the doorway was thrust suddenly aside, and a tall, thin squire of about twenty came forth, and said some words to the young men upon the bench, and then withdrew again. Instantly the squires arose and took their station beside the doorway. A sudden hush fell upon all in the room, and the men-at-arms stood in a line against the wall, stiff and erect, as though all at once transformed to figures of iron. Once more the heiress was drawn back, and in the hush Miles heard voices in the other room. "'My lord cometh,' whispered Gascon in his ear, and Miles felt his heart leap in answer. The next moment two noblemen came into the anteroom, followed by a crowd of gentlemen, squires, and pages. One of the two was a dignitary of the church, the other Miles instantly singled out as the Earl of Mackworth. End of chapter 3